exegesis. Welcome, Countdown to Exegesis, podcast, Steely Dan, me like, Andrew no like, mmm, tension. <laughs> Today, we're analysing Pretzel Logic, the song from Pretzel Logic, the album. However, Andrew, there's a couple of things I would like to do before we dig our teeth in. What I would like to do, referring to last week's episode, mm-hmm. Andrew, it was a tired episode, but it was also a controversial episode. Yes. Do you, do you know, as I as I know you do, what I'm talking about? I do, I do. And it was? We made some very flippant, disrespectful, um, offensive remarks about the cult British comedy show Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. We did, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and I feel, Andrew Seater, we should perhaps make a formal apology. I agree. This has got nothing to do with the fact that literal half dozens of people mm. text us or messaged us about it. It has proven to be our most controversial remark yet. Yeah, um, yeah, and and we've to, said some horrifying things about Jeff Skunk Baxter. But well, nobody exactly, nobody gives but, nobody gives a shit. But just, you, you, I, you you poke the hornet's nest of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place fans, and we are. It's been a deluge. It has. My phone has been blowing up for a week. I think it's at least four. Yeah, I think it's four. I, have, I, think I it's... had two today to mm. my phone. We, we, can, so, we, can, we can bleep these names, but I think it's Simon, Alex, Seb. Is that it? Uh, I feel like there was a fourth. I feel like there was a fourth. There was a fourth, yeah. Or, or, or more. Anyway, mm. um, Dark Place um, is probably fine. I haven't seen it. What I'm most worried about is that we've pissed off sort of 70% of our fan base. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, <clears throat> I don't want to I don't want to uh I don't want us to get too introspective about this, but listening back to my comments, uh <laughs> it was like listening to the worst version of myself. It was like I heard I I I knew that that was me. I could hear that mm-hmm. that was me, but it was like hearing myself like drunkenly uh um upbraiding somebody it was a horrible horrible to do and i know that i can do better so i've been thinking quite a lot about about dark place last, yeah. last your, your dark place or the show dark place the andrew Suter's dark place mm-hmm. uh and also garth Marenghi's dark place mm-hmm. and basically so last week i said it was shit you well yeah not only that you said that its fans were self-satisfied students yes i did say that but what I think, on reflection, after a period of reflection, in the in the cold light of day, I think really it's it's a masterpiece of nostalgia fueled parody that teams with comic talent. Um, I think that it's masterfully, <clears throat> hilariously hideous. With Iowadi, Richard Iowadi, knowing exactly how to drop in pointless camera moves, botched continuity, and slackly paced action sequences for maximum comic effect. Um, I mean, I could, I could go on. I think it's weird, but also truly original and brilliantly funny. And I think it's six episodes of utter comedy perfection. And leaving aside its dizzying triple coding of characters and absurd situations, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place also revels in failure, making it funny. I, um, I'm very impressed that you just came up with that off the cuff. It's for those with a love of dodgy horror and great comedy, which I see as a truly winning combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if and if people were to plagiarism check your words right now, mm-hmm. it would ring a bell and go, Suta. It, <laughs> yeah, would... it would it would lead directly to my blog. <laughs> yes, uh, sorry. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I don't want to put any doubt in anyone's mind. Um Yeah. Well I'll tell you what, Andrew Suter, do you know do you know what's even worse? What? Is that I've never never even really seen Dark Place. You've never seen it? Do you know what I've po- do you know what I've probably seen? What Are you? I've probably seen a clips, some clips on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I have watched I? all of it. Who am I to dismiss Dark Place? You're a sneery, haughty little prick. I am, aren't I? Yeah, you are. And I think. Mm. You... <laughs> what I will say is that so so just to, just to clarify, because these days in this age of trial by Twitter, you need to apologise unreservedly and clearly. So, I am sorry that I said oh, cruel. Am I following you along? Unwarranted things. <laughs> no, no, this isn't. You can do your own statement. This is my statement. Okay. I said cruel and unwarranted things about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place when really I should have reserved my ire for 
astronomically overrated cult British TV show, Look Around You. Get your expectations up for a, a song about a bunch of losers. Doesn't that get you excited? Mm. So, <laughs> Pretzel Logic, second single. This was a single? This was the only other single. Hang on, Ricky was the other single. Ricky was the other single. So they yep. put this above uh, any major dude? Yep. Absolute, above Barrytown. Absolute madness. Above even Night by Night would have been a, a more appropriate single, one would think. Mm. Uh, how did it do? Can't remember if I looked this up. Did it chart? Uh, but I'll tell you this while I look. It's a it's a well liked song. Mm. That's a logic. You one might wonder why. If you're Andrew Souter. Hey, I haven't revealed my cards yet. Um, They're close to my chest. I must have imagined the uh, the drunken conversation we had um, <laughs> two nights ago. Uh, <laughs> I have actually forgotten that conversation. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I it doesn't say well it doesn't say on Wikipedia whether it charted but I, anyway mm. did it chart I don't know officialcharts.com pretzel logic fuck knows peak position 37 but is that the album oh, that's the I've, album I've oh, never, fuck it fuck it I've I don't never care. felt less engaged with anything in my life oh right, yeah no well I, I stopped being engaged by the end <laughs> yeah anyway it's the story um, of this album isn't it <sighs> song facts do you want some facts yeah Barely any. This was voted the fifth favourite Steely Dan song among readers of the Steely Dan fanzine Metal Leg. Really? Yeah. yeah. Number five. So what was one to four? Out of everything. Oh, I didn't I didn't write that down. I can look it up if you really want to know. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. I just want to see what company it's keeping, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Much better songs. Frankly. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Uh one one reader said, a majestic feel to this one. Mm. Uh, another opined um, brilliant example of their ability to modify a musical style the blues yeah yeah the, the work of Ray Charles mm-hmm. what else is there to say apparently when they came to the UK mm. people people didn't know what a pretzel was and they had to explain it in in the early mid 70s right um, we know what a pretzel is now well you say that and and I mean I do but when I was Googling it earlier, um, for reasons that will become apparent, uh, it said it was bread. A pretzel is bread. I thought it was a biscuit. Oh, my God. You see, this is, this is just proof that the pretzel has not permeated. Right. I thought pretzels in, were those little... green and pleasant land. Little uh, bis- crunchy biscuits. Oh, no, you see, you've only been, you've only been exposed to the, to the dried snack pretzel, mm. which, is a, which is effectively a, a sort of baked bread. But in tiny form. What? That's not. How's that bread? It's well. I assume it's bread. I assume it takes the form of a of a normal pretzel. Like the, wor- a, the worst bread in the world. Well, it's, not, it's designed. It takes it. It's crunchy. It's meant as a crunchy snack. You mm. know, a proper pretzel is soft and bready. Right. So I don't like. So yeah. You genuinely don't know what a pretzel is. I was going to be like, <laughs> back in. Fifty years ago, we didn't know what a pretzel was, but now we know everything. We've got hummus. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I need to buy you a pretzel. I don't want a pretzel. It's shit. If it's, any, if it's anything like the bit, the little biscuity ones, I no, have, it's I nothing have... like. It's nothing like the little so biscuity it, ones. What does it taste of? It's 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 large with a uh, with a, a soft texture, but a, a chewy, mm. slightly almost caramelized uh, crust. Okay. And sprinkled with salt. Usually, mm. you know, you, ha- you had me at caramelized. Yeah, it's very good. It's mm. very good. Um, okay, covers. Something <laughs> about this song appeals to plodding amateur blues artists. I can't. Th- I cannot think why. <laughs> okay. So Does, as, as, as Jules Holland do the cover of this song. <laughs> oh yes. Um, uh, no, he hasn't. Um, however, I'll list a few notable ones. Mm. 
um, Joy Wright, uh, which is notable for having honestly the worst album cover I've ever seen in my life. Um, the Catman Dudes is another notable one. Um, the Catman Dudes is uh, is notable for this Amazon review. Uh, rare album from a terrific blues band from Southwest Florida. Mario, quote, the Catman keeps pet cougars and lions. So there you go. Also, the incomparable Leland Stanford Junior University Marching Band, which is notable for being called the incomparable Leland Stanford Junior University Marching Band. Mm. Um, also sampled by a guy called Amiri, which is basically the yes, I'm dying to be a star bit repeated with uh, a bad beat. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're being very critical this evening. Uh, so, is, yes. is it because you were forced to make an apology? So now you're like clawing back your sense of self-worth I suggested the apology thank you very much yeah only because you're trying to cover your ass. um my ass is well covered and it always will be okay. uh so there you go song facts look popular song not a lot of facts but um well well liked we started using him uh, for percussion and also for piano and fives piano and fives Fives, fives, piano and fives, fives. Okay, the vibe. Yeah, let's have um, your no. Let's have my vibe first because my vibe is I now learn is wrong. Okay, great. So I'd like to sweep it under the 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 carpet by speaking it. Well, I've got to say it, but if I say it first, then it, it will sort of, people will forget it by the time we get to sure. the, the third vibe. Yeah, vibe. A pretzel. Crisp, dry, and flavourless. So wrong. Because you're telling me that pretzels are like fat and greasy and well, salty. Well, no, they're not fat, like, they're not fatty. They're not greasy. They're just like pretzels. Do I, do, I, do I still not know what a pretzel is? No, you, you really, really don't. I'm going to change it. <clears throat> Rivita. <clears throat> Crisp, dry, and flavourless. Why, why are you mentioning Rivita? Because this song reminds me of Rivita. It's crisp, dry, and flavourless. Okay. Okay, and and when I when I say that, what I mean is that the production on this song is crisp, <laughs> and it's dry. Mm. But you could you could use those words favorably, mm. like oh that snare is so crisp and dry, salty, salt oh salty salty Tom, <laughs> or whatever. But I'm saying that the 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 overall result of the of the crispness and the dryness is that it completely lacks flavor sure. for me. This is like a dad rock blues jam. Mm-hmm. This is what I imagine. I mean, you've just—it is a dad rock blues jam. <laughs> Plenty of people like it. For exactly yeah, I'm not, well, the, yeah. The, my my vibe is is descriptive. I'm not saying I'm not saying it in a derogatory way. Sure, flavorless is a complete. It's not a loaded term. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, that's neutral. I I might be like, oh, I love this water. It's it's just oh, it's really refreshing and flavorless. <laughs> it's full of shit. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, here's my vibe. Um, mm. Roll up, roll up, and see the incredible transforming twins of Brooklyn. Bound not by blood, but by sound, these jellical jazz nuts can turn their trade to any musical form. Mere moments ago, they were, ladies and gentlemen, doing a string thing. Now, they are as blue as the berry or the bare naked sky. Only five dollars. <laughs> I love jellical jazz nuts. Yeah, did you enjoy that? That was great. I did, I did enjoy that a lot. So you're get, a do you get what I'm barker. getting at? Uh, well, I think you're saying that the circus c- continues. The circus of pretzel logic continues. We've had the trapeze, now we've got the dancing elephant. More or less. Now we're, now we're guessing the weight of the fat boy. Yeah. You know? I mean, and, it's, uh, it's the same point I made last week, Andrew, but it's... Um, but yeah, but you put, you, put some, you put some work into doing it in a slightly different way. Uh, but also, presumably, that was inspired by the lyric about the travelling minstrel show. A little, yes. I I started maybe doing more of the music. The music. The music. So, so it was a more complex the music after a while. The music. Hey, it's, it's going to be boring if... if we don't add some some rubby rubby notes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Do your zip up. It's time to talk about the music. <laughs> uh, do you want to know some players? Yeah. 
this has become a bit of a tradition. I don't know if it's enjoyable, but I, I name some players. Um, so obviously Fagan, lead and backing vocals. Uh, bit uh, Wurlitzer, electronic piano as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Dean Parks with the guitar. We got Plas Johnson back on sax. Remember him, Pink Panther, Pink Panther Man. Mm-hmm. Um, joined by Ollie Mitchell on trumpet and Lou McCreary on trombone. Uh, Wilton Felder on bass. Ah, that that is interesting. Is it? Because Wilton Felder is incredible. He is, we're going to have to fact check this, but I'm fairly sure he does the bass on I Want You Back by uh, the Jackson 5. I think you know, he does. I think he does. I, well, I wrote down ABC. Um, does Fagan play the electric piano on Any Major Dude Will Tell You? Or is it somebody else? Mm, I, can't rem- I can't remember. Because I, I feel to, like, it, I I feel like it's somebody else. I think he plays one of the keyboard instruments but you know the really good electric piano part on any major dude will tell you so so there's two electric piano parts right mm-hmm. there's there's a donald fagan electric piano part and there's a david page of later of toto electric mm-hmm. piano part and i can't remember which one's which okay well i don't oh, sorry i don't know i literally don't know which one's which but i think we came to the conclusion in that episode that the that the sort of fluttery nice mm. part was probably not fagan yeah, well, this is it, right? So, because the the I find the electric piano on on Pretzel Logic, the track, very lumpen. You mm. know, it doesn't have any of that like bubbly, like staccatoy thing, syncopated thing that is on any major dude will tell you, which is like lovely. Well, it was. Yeah, it this was just sounds quite like one. quite flat footed to me, to my ears. Michael LaMartian played the acoustic piano on this number, right? Uh, but yeah, definitely Fagan on the Whirly. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think played the lead guitar? If you don't already know, I think it's Mister Mister <coughs> Weapons of Mass Destruction himself. Well, so here's a here's a review. I mean, Danny uh, Diaz, Baxter. Yes. An expert electric guitarist with a broad background in rock and roll and jazz draws on these influences with pragmatic shrewdness. Even on the short tracks, he's impressive, and one of the band's more conventional songs, Pretzel Logic, a modified blues, he improvises on the standard patterns without referring to a single ready-made blues. Well, let me surprise you. It wasn't Diaz. Let me surprise you. It wasn't Skunk. Jesus. Let me surprise you. It was Eric Clapton. It was Walter Becker. No... Walter Becker played. No, yes. Is this going to be a repeat of that episode where you said that your favourite song on "I Mean to Shine" by Linda Hoover was written solely by Walter Becker? Yeah, but I don't think this can be true. Walter Becker played lead guitar on this song. I just don't believe it. It's confirmed by Steely Dan biographer Brian Sweet and also Wikipedia and also someone else. I can't remember who, but there's a... Oh, yeah. Uh, Was it the ghost of Walter Becker? Oh, no. Gary Katz. Gary right. Katz said of this song, I love the way the blues came out in that song. Walter's solo was great and the lyric was terrific. It was a funny <laughs> lyric and it really worked well. It's not I like, a funny lyric. I like that a lot. Oh, we're going to get to this, but it's not It's not a funny lyric. Okay, well, hold that thought. Hold that. Well, that's the, that is the thought. One day, these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. Well, just to go back to the uh, your little revelation about Walter Becker playing the guitar solo... Yes, yes. I put this song on repeat earlier, uh, and I sat with my head in my hands for four repetitions of this song. Yeah. And every single time, like all four times, when the guitar solo started, my soul bloomed. There's like a a, a quite exciting lick that's going into the chorus, uh, into the solo, rather. Mm. The the guitar entrance, the solo entrance, every single time I was like, yes. Basically, the solo, and it, look, basically, the soloing is fucking great on this song. No. So this is what I'm going to say, is that every single time I heard this song, as I wiped the tears from my eyes, the f- the opening phrase, I was like, yes, this is Skunk at his most devilish. I love this. And then it just peters out and goes really boring. And I now know why. It's because it's not it's not our friend the Skunk. There's some there's some lovely stuff. I agree it does it does it does despite what that reviewer said rely on bluesy tropes a little bit. 
Also, mm. go back to the solo now. Mm-hmm. Now that you know it's not, um, you know, nuclear fingers. Yeah. And you will hear that it's not it's not played with the same dynamism. This is a pea shooter to Skunk Baxter's Agent Orange. Well, you were sure it was skunk, so don't. Uh, yeah, I thought it was there. skunk on a bad day. I thought it was skunk after. A, a, <laughs> I thought it was skunk after a long day of military strategizing, amateur military strategizing, and his brain is all tired. On the tour bus. <laughs> on the tour bus, he's just like, "Okay, we've got to contain Cambodia. How are we gonna? How are we gonna do it, boys? Walt, Walt, I got this great idea for a uh, a surprise attack. <laughs> uh, yeah." Yeah, I love it when he does that. Um, I've got look. I like the solo, lovely bits. It's alright. I like I like the uh, chorus a bit, a little bit. I like how it deviates from bluesy. Yeah, I really, really don't like the chorus. I don't like the melody of the chorus. Neither do I really like the melody, the melody of the verse. Mm. Um, let me tell you about how. Let me tell you my big picture thoughts okay you know let's zoom out suits let's zoom out okay. um, let's go macro let's go macro lens on okay i think this song is musically speaking mm-hmm. my least favorite type of dan like slow modified blues dan yeah can go hang mm-hmm. as far as i'm concerned right however sonically this song is lush I disagree. It is lush. <laughs> Production-wise, it's like sinking into a bluesy pie. Can I just list... You've listed the things that you like about this song. Can I list the things that I don't like about this song? How long have we got? It's not going to take long. It's not going to take long. Yeah. Okay. I dislike the groove because I think it's very, very flat. It, like, it doesn't, it doesn't swing at all. Like, the drums... Mm. The drums are not crisp and sparkly. They're, like, turgid. The chorus is unpleasant because it's this sudden, like, explosion. It's like all of these... You know in um, A Muppet's Christmas Carol where all of the Marleys, uh, like, Scrooge's old business partners... No, have I not made this clear? I haven't really seen A Muppet's Christmas Carol (laughs) and you've referred to it as a a reference point, like, about... (laughs) About four or five times already. Okay, well, it's a classic. So there's a bit where Scrooge's old business partners are ghosts and they suddenly like start dancing in chains and it's like, we're Marley and Marley, ooh, like that. And it's it's very well well executed. Some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen. Um, and what I'm saying is that when, when that, that massed choir of Fagans, this like fucking Handel's Messiah of Fagans, starts doing the chorus, it's like being assaulted by a million ghosts, just like rushing towards your face, spraying ectoplasm in your eyes. And also, like, harmonically, in terms of the chords underneath the Choir of Fagans, to me, it sounds like, again, like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, it sounds like those tight, jazzy, like, wooden chips or something. Mm. But CSNY, whatever you think about them, they have this very, like, rich, organic layered vocal thing whereas this just sounds like so like tight and like organic organic it's a a non thing organic (laughs) does that even mean (laughs) it means that it sounds like people singing together I'm actually spitting would you know what I said about the backing vocals what I'll I'll read you verbatim from my notes the mix is deep Rich and dynamic. What the fuck are you talking about? Guitar lines and backing vocals cutting through like cold daggers. <laughs> um, I also just think that this song, uh, it just doesn't go anywhere. It's just, it's just like the, like each. It's amazingly, each instrumental section is less exciting than the last. <laughs> I don't, I don't agree with that. Come on, the the, the last the last bit is kind of cool. Like I, if you I just, think the if, end is cool. No, if you just submit to the blues, like put on your dad jeans, mm. lie on your waterbed, submit to the blues, mm. like that last, the whole last section is pretty cool. I think, I think, okay, so I listened to this song four times in a row and it, it didn't do it for me. I then went back to Any Major Dude Will Tell You and listened through from Any Major Dude Will Tell You to Pretzel Logic. Oh, really? Oh, this is interesting. To okay. truck, because I was like, 
more than ever, because I'm so bored of this album, more than ever I feel that the format is working against my possible enjoyment. That I, that mm-hmm. As in, like, if you... So, East St. Louis Toodaloo through to this song, it's like 10 minutes of music, but it's been a month of my life. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, let's telescope this. Let's, con- let's, let's condense it and see what gives. So here's my new verdict on tracks three through eight of this album, right? Tracks three and four is the most I've ever enjoyed Steely Dunn as like back-to-back burst of music, right? Dude and, dude and Barry. Dude and Barry. Yeah. Absolute slambolas. East St. Louis Toodaloo, I enjoyed when we were talking about it, but as part of this album, it is so, it just seems really misguided. Like you have the high, this, this like double hit of Major Dude and Barrytown, and then suddenly you've got this like cheeky replica of a jazz tune. It's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Then you got Parker's Band, which I actually liked more in the context of the album. I enjoyed more than I thought I did. Be- I think because I do it as well. does because it does, as one of our uh, listeners said on Twitter, it does inject a bit of excitement into mm. into the album. You know, and there are things about it. That I not, there I, are things I, about I, it that I don't like. Fine song, isn't it? Like it's 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 just not a song that stands up well to yeah, at, like horrible, deeply analytical scrutiny. Yeah, by two. Non-analytical, deeply flawed <laughs> men. <laughs> By two armchair cunts. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so anyway, so so what I'm saying is literally, uh, and then next we have through with Buzz, which I was quite complimentary about because it was a bit weird and wonderful. L- again, listening to it in the context of the album, coming after Parker's band, I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you've just the, built the, a, no, the biggest built... the biggest what the fuck sequencing moment moment for me is through with Buzz. Well, maybe this would be a good thing to do at the end of albums and just see if, just just make you li- force you to listen to everything mm. quickly in sequence. Yeah, and, yeah, and see and see how it changes. Yeah, because um, it is. A, I mean, it's good for a podcast. Is it good for a podcast? Well, this is why it seems like it's good for a podcast, but it's not. It's no good for like casual listening. But is it even good? Well, this is what I'm wondering: is that I feel like all of my judgments are completely skewed because I'm listening to listening to it in this completely contrived, like protracted way. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not thinking. You know, like when you listen to an album, sequencing is really, really important. And so, if you take a month-long gap or a week-long gap between each track, like you're just going to lose your bearings. Cheer things up. I believe you've prepared a San Francisco show and tell. Mm, I have, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> the, basically, I need to just introduce this uh, show and tell a little bit, give a bit of context, mm. which is that when I'm not podcasting, uh, I am the chairperson of a charitable foundation. We haven't talked about this before. No, no, no. Because I like to keep my, my good works under my hat like a good Christian. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I basically founded and run a charitable foundation called Wishmaker General. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, it's just that the name always chokes me, chokes me up a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, w- Wishmaker General. <laughs> oh, I just wiped the tear. Sorry, go on. Sorry, it's it's very it's very close to mine and Andy's heart, so it tends to choke us up a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 difficult to talk about without getting a little bit emotional. So, Wishmaker General. (laughs) (laughs) We have a mission. We have a mission statement. <laughs> so a lot of charitable foundations do good works for, let's say, children with irreversible conditions. Mm. So it's like the child is dying and they're like, I really want to meet um, Richard Iwadi. So then mm. the, the the Make-A-Wish Foundation will, will you know, um, inject Richard Iwadi with heroin and then he will come and... 
and, and like meet the child and it will make the child very happy. But at the at mm. Wishmaker General, we realised that it's not only dying children that <laughs> need their wishes to come true. Because as you and I know, Ollie, fame does not bring you happiness. Mm. It cannot bring you happiness. And so there are many, many celebrities in the musical world who are very successful, critically acclaimed, but they are deeply unhappy. And we at Wishmaker General, yeah, that's what it's called. We at Wishmaker General, we make the wishes of celebrities come true. Okay, so for instance, just to give you a couple of, a couple of examples. So yeah, so an example would be, um, you'll remember that Eric Clapton sings, I wish I was a catfish. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so we at Wishmaker General, we... Sorry, this is, I do know this, and it's one of the it's one of the most touching stories. So it's difficult. I, I find it difficult to hear. But yeah. Do go on. So we, but basically, we knew that he wanted to be a catfish, so we helped him. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. we helped him to deceive and financially exploit a very lonely young man in uh, Oslo. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it made Clapton. You should have seen the grin on Clapton's face when he he extorted, like I think it was five thousand pounds mm-hmm. out of this very very vulnerable man. Um, so that was one just one, an example of our successes. Um, I mean, another example uh, which actually made headlines for being a little bit more controversial was you'll remember that um, Bruce Springsteen <laughs> had a song called "I Wish I Was Blind." So, <laughs> yeah. So we had a, we threw a production of King Lear and cast Bruce Springsteen as Gloucester, but oh. when he was being blinded by um, uh, the the Duke, we actually forcibly removed his eyes and yeah, and yeah, stamped yeah. them underneath our feet on the stage. And the thing is, <laughs> the boss, you know, the boss. As you'll know from his albums, he's a man of great emotion. So he was he was initially very very upset uh, and and bleeding, uh, but in time he came to really appreciate what we did for him at Wishmaker General. You you, you explained you explained yourselves and yeah he he uh, he joined the dots. That's right. So there's often there's often a, there's often a period of of of, of um, explaining and financial compensation. Yeah yeah yeah. After after these events but absolutely what does fagin want that's the question that i asked myself as ceo of wishmaker general what does fagin want that will turn that droopy frown upside down and listening to this uh, song pretzel logic He's, he, has he, wants wants. To, he has a lot of wants but there was one that i knew that i could make come true mm. and that was he says i want to sound just like a record on the phonograph mm. and i thought that is a very easily achievable uh, Mm -hmm. task. Mm -hmm. It's something that I can do for this deeply unhappy and fucked up man just to make, just to bring a little smile to his... his, uh, I hope you haven't ruined his next solo album. Why would I have done that? By injecting joy into his life. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) So, Fagan, I know you're listening. (laughs) Here is your wish come true. Hit it, Ollie. It's true that most of the stuff I love happened before 1966 or something. Uh, so what people think of his jazz, you know, is really not. So, you know, and he's a younger guy, and, you know, I'm sure this is not experience. And, you know, uh, but, uh, I don't care. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's gonna, he is going to be delighted He's going to be so, so happy. Because there's no way he could do that himself. Mm-hmm. There's no. I mean, he's an old man. He can barely turn his keyboard on anymore. But here at the Wishmaker General Foundation, we have made his dream come true. And Don, is that the first airing? Has he has he heard it yet? Uh, I have emailed him several times, and there's not been. There's just been radio silence. But I assume he's on tour at the moment. He's a busy guy. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, out of interest, Ollie, did you could you pick up what he was saying on that uh, wax cylinder? I could pick up but two words. What were they? Fuck you. <laughs> Almost. I think it was fuck him. Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna give mm. you a I'm gonna give you a clue and then we can listen again. So that you and the okay. listeners can try and like Okay, sure, sure, sure. Um descry, if that's a word, what Fagan's talking about. So Ooh. he's talking about a film. Okay. 
Okay, do you want to give it another go? Is that the only clue? Because I I personally know nothing about films. He's talking about a film that was directed by one Damien Chazelle. Oh, well, that still doesn't help me, but it might help the listeners. Yeah. So, let's hear it again. Let's give it a go. It's true that most of the stuff I love happened before 1966 or something. <laughs> uh, so, that what people think of as jazz, you know, is really not. So, you know, and he's a younger guy, and, you know, I'm sure this is not an experience. And, you know, uh, but, uh, I don't care. Fuck him. Something people did before 1966. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, a young girl, maybe, is in there. Experience. Mm-mm. I don't care. Fuck him. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So basically what he's saying is he's talking about the film Whiplash, mm. uh, which I haven't seen, but it's a... Oh, it's a, it's a, I have. I've heard, this, I've heard this clip of him talking about it, actually. Sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah. So he, he's saying Whiplash was a film about a, a jazz college and like a very uh, stormy relationship between the jazz teacher and the student. Mm. And Fagan is basically saying that the filmmaker knows nothing about jazz. And, uh, you know, yeah, maybe he's just a young guy who doesn't have experience, but I don't care. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> it's how the, how the clip ends. Yeah, he got, he got, like, he got enjoyably angry about, uh, about Whiplash, I remember. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm so ha- I can't wait until Fagan checks his emails. Yeah. Somehow we, we got into writing these, like, vaguely sadomasochistic uh, lyrics. Um, not that either of us were really involved in anything like that, but it, it, it just it, it seemed like uh, fresh material, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to do the old school exegesis thing here mm-hmm. and just say, suitor, lay it bare. <sighs> what's, your, what's, your, what's, your, what's your roundup? You see, I've got, no- I've got nothing on this lyric because I think this... No, but what do you... I mean, I'm assuming you haven't done the research. I'm assuming you haven't seen what Becker and Fagan and Katz have said. Yeah, yeah. What does it... What do you think it's about? I think it's about a semi-ironised nostalgia. Mm-hmm. It's about pining for the olden days, but with a, 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 a patina of irony, I think. And what's the point of the irony? What's the irony well, that Well, that is the question I could ask about every single Steely Dan song. What is the point of the irony? The point of the irony is to, because they have created a Jules Holland dad rock jam and they are now trying to intellectually, intellectually justify it to themselves and to their audience by putting in some slightly abstruse references. That's, that's the vibe I get from the lyric. It's just like, not, it, it's not, it doesn't make linear sense. It sounds clever, but it isn't. And its purpose is to, you know, paint lipstick on a hog. Brutal words from Andrew Suter there. Mm. Let's see if Piper comes back with anything in the second half. <laughs> he may have a surprise up his sleeve. Mm. Um, yeah, well, this this song, as I just noticed, is notably free of interpretations on genius. Mm. People are happy to just let this, either happy to let it speak for itself or baffled yeah. by its uh, obscurity. Let me okay. How to do this? Let me give you. A, a, let me give you a few possible readings. Okay. Okay. Um, and 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 also uh, the the author's reading. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, shall I start with the author's reading? Yeah. Okay. Vagan says it's about time travel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'll read you a quote. Mm-hmm. When it says, "I stepped on the platform," the man gave me the news. We conceived the platform as a teleportation platform. <laughs> this isn't real. The, the, yeah. And there are other key lines like, I have never met Napoleon, but I plan to find the time. What we're actually saying is I plan to find the time in which he lived. Yeah. Why, I, why, I plan why, to why find the that? epoch. Yeah. I plan to find, I plan to dial into my crazy machine that might not be, ex- might not be entirely precise, mm. the, 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 the time in which... Napoleon lived. Yeah. Um, also, I just want to get this out of the way. We don't need to dwell on this, but I think that the reason he mentions Napoleon is because Napoleon has uh, it, it was it was made cool by Dylan. Because I don't know whether you've heard a song called "Like a Rolling Stone." <clears throat> it's a kind of vitriolic put down of a society girl, and there's a, a really. 
powerful line where Dylan sings, you used to be so amused at Napoleon in rags and the language that he used. Oh, yes. It's, it's, yes it, Fagan it, heard Dylan. Yeah. So did everyone else. Everyone took off Dylan. All right, get over it. Fuck I sake. said I said we don't need to dwell on it, but I'm just saying that I think the reason it's not, I have never met uh, Castle Ray. I have never met... Uh, <laughs> that is your... That is... We haven't dwelt. Dwelt? Dwelt. <laughs> That's like some fucking Middle English word. <laughs> I'm not, I'm we not, have not dwelt on this. I'm not, for, for I'm, I'm not dwelling. I'm just saying <laughs> that it could have been any historical figure, but he chose one that was made cool by the coolest man who ever lived. Your friend mm. and mine, Robert Zimmerman. Well, you know, there's a few statements there that would need to be picked apart. I can't be asked. Okay. Uh, what do you make of the time travel? It makes it now makes more sense. It links together the verses because also, where did you get those shoes? Is presumably because he's wearing some sneakers or something or some 20th century uh, footwear, and the the shoe shine man or whoever it is is like. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah. The... You must be joking, son. Where did you get those shoes? It's like whoa. That's the typical reading of that verse. Mm. Is I stepped on the, on the platform, the man gave me the news. He said, "You must be joking, son. Where did you get those shoes?" Mm. It's someone, it's someone stepping onto a shoe shine platform mm. chair, as as some people might call it, and uh, and yeah. someone someone being baffled by his anachronistic shoes, which might have been from the past or the future. Yeah, but no, according to Fagan, the platform is. Uh, He's stepping onto a time travel platform, and then as he steps off, the man is saying, mm. "Where did you get those shoes?" Okay, here's the theory. Okay, you got you've got a theory. I've got a theory, baby. Okay, I think that this is, and I don't mean this in a controversial or critical way. This is an example of '60s slash '70s blackface, musical blackface, in this in the way that like the Rolling Stones were white guys who did an impression of black music. Mm-hmm. Or Eric Clapton was a white guy who did an impression of black music. This is some white guys doing like Ray Charles. He's the person that this sounds most like to me. But this is all musical, all musical, and sure. and vocal. I think Fagan is doing a bit of a black, like in inverted commas, a bit of a black voice. Sure, right. And I don't want to get into the the whys and wherefores of that because it's it's extremely complicated issue and frankly we're not qualified to talk about it correct however if you if you think as i do that this is uh, white people aping black music then i think what the first verse is is a sort of ironizing self-aware caveat because it's i would love to tour the southland in a traveling minstrel show now as far as i know traveling minstrel shows were where there was like blackface right Correct, yeah. Yeah. So they're like alluding to a history of uh, racial segregation while doing a form of blackface themselves. And it's kind of like like they're trying to put some kind of like ironic distance between themselves and the song. Because if it's just a blues jam, then they could be accused of blackface. If they do a blues jam, but it has like vaguely cryptic re- lyrics that reference the South, the historical South... Then it's like, oh, they know what they're doing. They're, you know, they're like aware of the issues around cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. That is well, my theory. Well, okay, so so my theory. There are some other interesting theories to share about this, but I, my theory of this lyric sort of ties into your theory mm. a little bit. So, rather than react directly to it, I'll, I'll react with mine. So, I see this song possibly as a bit of a. A bit of a flip side, flip of the coin of something like Parker's Band, mm. where they're just ironically, nerdily celebrating jazz. Yeah, is this song actually a bit of a, a bit of anxiety coming out? Yeah, where they are, they're aware that their kind of musical touch points, even in the time that they're performing them in the nineteen seventies, are kind of anachronistic. Yeah, and are going. Um, you know, all I really want to sound sound like is a record on a phonograph. Is like an old jazz record. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, those times are gone forever. Over a long time ago. Hey, um, you hey. know, uh, it, It's kind of you know, it, it's kind of 
and and I guess that might tie into it. It's like is 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 like well, you know, I'd I'd love to tour the South End in the Travelling Minstrel Show. It's like, well, actually, are they just kind of going? Look, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we are white guys taking off black music mm. and idolising it. Mm. Bit of a funny way of putting it, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's yeah. No, uh, I think we're I think we've had the same uh, same thought. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, I guess I, I think I think to just call it a time travel song. If, if Fagin wants it to be seen as just a time travel song, then fine. But I, uh, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that there's something deeper to this lyric. Yeah, and yeah, but I don't think it's yeah. deeper. I just think it's. Uh, it's well, it's it, deeper it, it, than just like it's, here's it's, a fucking it, action story, a comic action story about a time traveler. Yeah, but I think that, like I say, I think it's kind of. Uh, I mean, I guess what I'm about to say is predicated on the fact that I find it boring as a song. So if you if 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 you're listening to this and you're like I fucking love this song, then what I'm about to say doesn't doesn't really add up. But if if you if you like me think that this song is pretty limp, then the lyrics are just a are just like rotting flesh on the bones. You know, it's just like patching up this mediocre song with some pseudo intellectual stuff. You know, that's how that's how it strikes me. But the, 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 but Fagan is imploring you not to read it as pseudo intellectual or intellectual anything. After, after the fact, yeah. He's just saying this is about going back to the deep south when they did all these racist theatre and hmm. going back to meet Napoleon in the whenever that was <laughs> the Napoleonic times. <laughs> then those times, yes. Yeah. Uh, do you think this song is about Adolf Hitler? <laughs> uh, okay, let me let me think about this. Is the Southland the uh, the Sudetenland, which was annexed by Nazi Germany? So, uh, an article, um, a journalist called Arthur Lubau, Lubo, L-U-B-O-W, I'm not, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. So, okay, I'm going to, it's quite a long quote I've got here, I'm going, to, I'm going to try and summarise it, but basically, like, apparently in an interview, Becker and Fagin had said that mm. one of their songs contains a hidden reference to Hitler's Beer Hall Putsch. Yes. Is that how you say it? Yeah. The beer Hall Putsch, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember um, that from and, school, yeah. And Lubo, Lubov, was like, I, he's like, I've just, I know, I've discovered that it's in Pretzel Logic, the song. Right. And, and he, and he exp- expounds this in this article. He doesn't really explain how, right? But I'll, I'll read you the quote now. Mm. Uh, it's, they say, he says, Pretzel Logic is narrated by the Fagin Becker version of Hitler, a vaudevillian who would love to tour the Southland in a travelling minstrel show, who dreams of meeting Napoleon, and who hopes to sound just like the record on a phonograph. Well, he's just quoting the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. and without realising that a swastika is twisted like a pretzel, much of the title's <laughs> meaning is lost. Right. Yet the song works well without undergoing the lab- laborious exegesis popular mm. in the Is Paul Dead Days of Beatlemania. Bo- the inside joke is just a bonus. I think, No idea what he's talking about. but this guy like, is full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, another possibility is it about Steely Dan touring? That's what Steely Dan biographer uh, Brian Sweet said. As, as, to be more uh, clear, to be more precise, it's about their dislike of touring, especially in the South. So when they're talking about being a travelling minstrel show in the South, in the Southlands, are they saying that they feel like a sort of yeah, like uh, a, a, a tired and crass mm. performance? Well, they certainly they, sound like that. Yeah. So, do you think that uh, the the Napoleon thing is like they're on the tour bus <coughs> and Skunk Baxter's <laughs> Skunk, Skunk Baxter is still Dude, talking Napoleon. about Napoleon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "There's a lot to learn from this Napoleon fella." <laughs> <laughs> One thing I want to know is why. So, so he looks so fine upon that hill. I assume there's a statue of Napoleon. Or just Napoleon. Oh, if if he's time travelling, it could be Napoleon himself. Yeah. If he's not time travelling, then I, I what I was imagining is they're in the tour bus, Fagin is looking out the window grumpily, and then he sees a statue of Napoleon, and he's like, oh, he looks so fine, I want to fuck him or whatever. But then they tell me he was lonely, he's lonely still. Like, I've never heard that as a... Um, no, that that makes that particular lyric makes absolutely no sense to me. I have no idea. I have but no maybe, exegesis for but, that but, but do you think it's that great great people, you know, um, that they were all lonely at the top. So, another reading is by a journalist called Bobby Alvarez, who says that it's about Steely Dan's quest for stardom. 
so it's about looking into the past and seeing that the past is gone and unchangeable, but also, you know, what what does the future hold? Right. If our if our, if our dreams come true and we become the stars we were always the pinups we were always meant to be, mm. you know, that could be looking at at the loneliness of stardom, the loneliness of fame, like you say. Mm-hmm. The so that's a that's a reading. His ham-fisted exegesis in last month's Vanity Fair made me cringe. Anything, any particular lyrics that stand out that we haven't mentioned already? Let's they say the times are changing, but I just don't know. Who does that remind you of? Uh, I just, I just get like a like my my chest tightens up and my heart skips a beat and yeah. I go, please God, no, don't say who you think I'm gonna, who I think you're gonna say. Who do you think I'm gonna say? Well, it's either gonna be um, Randy Newman or or Bob Dylan, isn't it? And I'm my money's on Newman. It's Bob Dylan. Oh really? Well, what one of his like oh, the, biggest? Oh, sorry, hits, the fucking the, the times time, that oh yeah the times they are changing. I don't know how that didn't occur to me. I don't know. It just it it because you know the times they are changing is a hopeful and slightly righteous, righteously biblical song about how the old order is being swept away and the new order is coming. And you can imagine Fagan and Becker being a bit scornful of that because of their <laughs> wearisome nihilism. So, you know, I just wonder whether Wait. it's like, it's like, oh, the, the old times were shit, the new times are shit, they say the times are changing, but I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, do, do you know what? That never occurred to me as a, as a Dylan reference. Yeah. Uh, but it could be. Um, uh, it's fairly, I guess it was fairly contemporary at this point. Um, yeah, and also the whole thing about ripping off Napoleon from, you know, one of Dylan's best songs. Um, well, but also, um, no, and uh, <laughs> that is such a stretch. Come on. Anyway, that lyric uh, could be: is this is this kind of like is this a the sixties meant nothing song? Yeah, potentially. But Dylan said the times are just the times are changing, but I just don't know. Yeah, it seems the same as ever to me. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I, this is validation for me. Walter Becker and me, Donald Fagan, mm. to continue peddling our jazz-influenced, bop-influenced joys upon the listeners of the 1970s. Yeah. And also the world is shit, so um, the 60s was a false start. Yeah. We sort of copped the name from a uh, uh, popular novel of the day because uh, we needed, needed to call it something. We had been calling ourselves, you know, Becker and Fagan and stuff like that, which sounded more or less like a delicatessen or some sort of, you know, tailoring outfit. And so we were glad to have something else to use. Shall we take our minds off the Conservative Party? Please. And bring in Brian Roston. Yeah. It's like taking your snout out of a trough of shit and having a it's like having a margarita. Your dick out of a out of a hog. A literal hog. Yeah, a hog's mouth. Yeah. Um that was a reference to uh, 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 our former leader, yeah. um, who fucked a, who fucked a pig's head. Um, yeah, literally, like that's not even a joke. He did. Yeah, uh, that's what public school boys get up to in the UK. Well, I was going to say yes, they still get elected leaders. In fairness, anyway, in, should we in stop fairness, being angry about the Tory party in, in and fairness, bring in Brian Rostad? No, no, no. In fairness to David Cameron, who did fuck a pig's head, he wasn't the only one who fucked a pig's head. It's not like it's not like there was it's not like there was a garden party at Oxford. And there was a pig's head in the centre of the garden and everyone was like... And David Cameron was like, I'm going to fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody around him was like, David, I what's come over you? What's come over you? I don't, I, I, come on, bro. No, no, no. That's, it's not that. It's they were literally all lining up to fuck the, the, this, this pig's head. You know? So th- and what I'm saying is... Does that make it better? Yes, it does make it better because you know the power of peer pressure. <laughs> Anyway, what's happened with Brian? Round it up. This is Brian Rosson's story time. He fucked a pig's head, then he fucked this country, and we're just crawling around in the debris like manky pigeons. No, 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 no. What's happened in Brian Rosson's story time? Every good, every two every, against the natural grass. Everything of a high that has field. got better is being slowly reversed by these fucking pony fuckers, and I just want them all to die, all at once. But Brian Rosson. And Brian Rustin. Just remember Brian Rustin <laughs> and his story and feel nice and warm, okay?
breathe. Brian Rosson is a lovely man, and he's writing a really nice story. Yeah, yeah. And you are you excited to hear what happens next? Yeah, I am still thinking about the Conservatives, though. It's okay. really hard to drag my. Bring your mind back to what just happened in in Brian Rosson's story time mm-hmm. in the in the Through with Buzz episode. Okay. Explain it to the listeners, just to recap quickly. The friend mm-hmm. is telling the protagonist not to mm-hmm. go ahead with his uh, proposal, and then he says, "Vic." I'm not the man you think I am, or I'm not the friend you think I am. Yeah. That was the cl- that was the cliffhanger. Two against the natural grass of a high school football field. Part 6. Pretzel Logic. Victor steps onto the platform, and it's time for me to give him the news. What's going on, Charlie? I grimace. I know he can't see me. I can't really see him. The stadium lights aren't on. And the lights from the parking lot really don't get all the way out here. It's unsettling, having this conversation in the dark. Victor can't even see my face when I tell him. I slept with Katie, man. There's a silence, and I decide to back up. If he throws something or comes at me, I won't be able to defend myself. I need to get back into the light. I hear the groan of the cheap metal of the scaffold, and I assume Victor is climbing down. I take off at a dead sprint, but it doesn't matter. Victor is the captain of the high school football team, an athlete with more awards from the state of Nebraska than Bob Gibson. The wind is knocked from my lungs violently as I am tackled into the gravel. I barely made it back to the parking lot. Jagged pebbles are embedded in my hands and face. I gasp for breath with a 200-pound senior on top of me. I worry I might die but Victor turns me round to face him, and all I see on his face is defeat. Wow. Okay, so the, a few notes. So that was a pretty, that was a big, that was a big revelatory episode. Yeah, for sure. I would just like, I would just make, like to make a few notes for clarification. Okay. Uh, Brian incorporated a lyric, as he, as he always does. I stepped up on the platform. Yeah. Just yeah. to be clear, in case the listeners didn't listen to the last episode, the platform is the conducting platform from which the band leader uh, of of the marching band would conduct the band. Yeah. And, Bri- uh, and and Victor's been climbing it. Yeah. So just to put that into context, it was introduced masterfully by the Rost, the Rostermeister. Okay? Yeah. Um, I have no idea who Brian... Who, uh, Brian Goodman? Who, who, uh, who Bob was Gibson. The, Bob Gibson. Uh, well, I assume he was an American I, football player. He, no, oh, sorry, not not American football. He was a uh, professional baseball pitcher who played seventeen seasons. For oh, you're going to love this, Ollie. Why are you pausing so dramatically? The St. Louis Cardinals. East St. Louis, toodaloo. Fucking hell! Yeah, Rost has left layers for us to unpack. I think he it? has. I think it's going to be like this is a this is a tiramisu of a story. Um, how do you feel, Andrew? You've been waiting for the release mm. of 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 the of the cliffhanger. How do you feel? I like I I feel like the Rost is a keen observer of masculinity because it's mm. it's interesting that the so it erupts into violence. Vic is winning, but he's then defeated. Like the the the, mm. the, the final mm. the final word I think of that episode is is that Vic was defeated. Looks defeated. He, he, all I could see on his face was defeat. Was defeat. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Along those lines, and and yeah, it's like it's like all that the male psyche can do is 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 all it can figure out how to do at that point is lash out. Exactly. Exactly. And then once it's got its prize, yeah, it's just instant. And you know what that feels like, don't you? Because when I talk about Randy Newman, when I talk about Bob Dylan, you're not able to be the better man. You just you just become cruel. Like listeners don't know what we've had to cut out of episodes. <laughs> there was one. There was one instance in particular where you just yelled the word "cunt" at me, like over and. I mean, it was like two or three minutes of audio. So here's the thing. Mm. I think you're joking now, but I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> that might have happened. <laughs> Slam or scam. Slam or scam? You go first. Andrew Suter. Yeah. This song mm-hmm. is 
So I'm assuming I'm assuming we're going to put in some dramatic kind of yeah music here, like maybe a dun dun dun, mm-hmm. a royal slam. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? I th- because in my head, I don't like this song. Mm. In my head, I'm like, this is boring, turgid, mm-hmm. bluesy Dan. Yeah. And then every time I listen to it, I enjoy it. So, so what what does that mean? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, every time, I, every time, it, every time it touches my ears, it surprises me and it, and it delights me. I'll be honest, it delights me. What it means is that I'm not the only one well versed in self deception. <laughs> you too think you don't like something, but actually, you really do. Well, the the tricky th- thing with this is that I really can't. I can only articulate what I don't like about it. Okay, mm-hmm. like I I, I can't very well articulate what I do like about it, although I have tried over the course of the last three hours, or however long we've been recording. Yeah. I, uh, I I just... This is a song I just have to submit to, and when I do, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Okay. I am surprised, though, because just... I'm not, su- I'm not surprised that you think a Steely Dan song is a royal slam, but... Um, I'm surprised because you you've barely said anything positive about it. Yeah, but this this is the thing. Yeah, but like, in, yeah. it, this is but this is the thing. Like intellectually, I don't like this song. I I have I have nothing but like bad memories of this song. But then when it comes on, I just feel like uh, going up to its motel room and doing unspeakable things. Really, that's even yeah. more surprising. I thought at best you'd give it a peck on the cheek. No, I'd give it a peck on peck between. Uh. <laughs> Well, that was <laughs> deeply unpleasant. <laughs> I mean, now the problem is that now I'm just trying to think of what sexual act I would perform on on this song, <laughs> and the answer is no sexual act. You've got to uh, say the words. <laughs> this song is a royal scam. I do not like this song. I think that it has. It's like a. It's like a shadow on a wall. It's like a... You are such a prick. <laughs> why? <laughs> it's like a shadow on a wall. No, do... do sorry. Carry well, on. Why is, hang on. Of all the things I've said, why is that the one that makes me a prick? Or is it just that you finally erupted? <laughs> or you finally realised? <laughs> no, carry on. I, that was, it was a little mean. Carry on. That was so mean. What I'm saying is... It's, 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 a, it's a simulacrum. It's a camera obscura. <laughs> it's just boring it's a boring song I hate it it sounds like it's groovy but it isn't groovy uh, nothing lands the guitar solo isn't it like promises things it doesn't deliver I hate the layered vocals the horns are boring uh, the electric piano playing is is lumpen I think I used that word before but I like it um, it just and it goes on for too long so like once you're halfway through you've basically heard the song but you have to go through the whole fucking thing again um, the lyrics are irritating. They don't add anything to the song. They just seem like a intellectual justification for doing a blues, a boring blues tune. Um, Do you know, so, so here's the thing. I really don't like this song. So here's the thing. I basically agree with you. Mm. And, and yet, and yet, and, and yet, yet, I like yet. it. And yet, and yet, and yet, I like it. Yeah. So again, grasping attempt at engagement, but also genuinely, I would like to hear. I, I'm interested to see. How your poll um, mm. pans out yeah, yeah. for this song, and where the where the scam slam lies. I'm going to I'm going to predict that this is going to be heavily uh, slam oriented. Mm. Because, what I what mm. I want to understand is why from people who can articulate it better. Yeah, for why? Because mm-hmm. because I, I I just know that I like it when it's happening. I don't know why. I can't. I can't articulate why because everything, all the ingredients, should suck to me. But I mm. don't think it sucks. Are we going to attempt a goodbye? Because every time we do a goodbye live, you cut it and make me and surprise me <laughs> into having to redo it like the night before when I'm really tired. Well, the reason is that our goodbyes always descend into blathering. So let's do a tight goodbye. But is, is that not the? Is that not a, a good? Is that not a, a brand trademark? Could it not be? What incompetence? 
<laughs> okay, here we go. Pretzel logicians. Becker and Fagan magicians. Dan statisticians. Lend me your ears. For the end of the show is nigh. Tis time to say goodbye. From suits and pipes and I. <laughs> suits. A fond farewell, we bid. And all the things we did are as nothing on the wind. Oh, but we have sinned. Was that genuinely <laughs> a uh, off the cuff? That was, that was, yeah, that was. Uh, you could improvised. be like the. You're like the fucking. Yeah, that's like a rap battle of the Marlowe era. That's. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, <laughs> listeners, um, yeah, please. Um, Please like, please subscribe, please, whatever people say. I don't know, what do they say? Please share and subscribe and give us reviews and give us ratings and subscribe to our Patreon. If, if you really love us, mm. we'd be happy. Yeah, um, yeah. Otherwise, you know, keep listening and we enjoy your continued presence with your ears and our mouths. Thank you. <laughs>